Paul Durham, and welcome again to From the Market Square, presented by Sheehan Finney. This episode is perfect for summer listening. Laura Brown is the owner and operator of Fox Point Oysters, based out of Little Bay in Dover, New Hampshire. It's one of several oyster farms here on the seacoast, and if you had oysters at any of our local restaurants, there's a good chance they may have come from Fox Point Oysters. Laura is no stranger to interviews. This past year, she appeared on the Today Show, was interviewed by New Hampshire Public Radio, and hosted First Lady Jill Biden right here on her farm. When she offered to take me on a tour, I couldn't wait. We recorded the entire episode outside, waist-deep in Little Bay. After you hear Laura, you'll understand why she's such a popular guest. I learned a ton about the environmental benefits of oysters, the business of aquaculture, the complex rules and regulations that shellfish farmers must follow, and a whole lot more. In fact, I learned so much, we actually broke up this interview into two parts. So if you like this episode, be sure to check out the second part as well. A word of warning, if the thought of eating freshly shucked oysters makes you squirm, you might want to cover your ears. But if you like the water, seafood, or just hearing about an eclectic small business, this one is a lot of fun. Coming up, I'm in the water with Laura Brown. Uh, the goal out here is to keep your feet moving. So you don't get stuck in the Yeah, uh, right now it's actually great because we're still submerged. Mm -hmm. Some days when I come out, the mud is like 50 feet out. Oh, wow. And you have to hike out there. <laughs> and uh, some days it looks apocalyptic out here. Though. So you guys don't paddle, you don't, do you paddle out all the time? No. So no. I generally, most days I do, especially yeah. if I'm harvesting, because this is how I get the oysters back to shore. Yeah. And then yeah. I hike them up the stairs and into the cooler. That's, right. the, that's the yucky part. Right. Uh, there are no public launch spaces uh -huh. in Little Bay. Right. So this is, this is all great, the Great Bay Estuary in yep. New Hampshire, but from... That's the Route 16 bridge over there. Yep. All of this down to Adams Point is mm -hmm. Little Bay. Mm -hmm. And we are only allowed in Little Bay. Okay. And then it opens up into Great Bay, which is a beautifully protected area. Yep. We're doing lots of eelgrass research and restoring native oyster beds. So we're not allowed to farm down there. Right. Uh, you can go down there by boat, but we can't be there any other way. So we're in a very small section. How, so how many other farms are there out here? Is it just you or are there other no. Oh gosh, no. No, there's actually one right there. There's okay. one across there by the island. There's one over on the other side there. Straight across, you see that little boat? Yeah. Uh, it looks like a, there's a boat boat and then something with almost like a white rim on it. That's another farm. Around the corner is another one. <laughs> uh, it's probably, can't remember exactly. I don't want to say it wrong, but I think there's almost 17 farmers maybe. Okay. But maybe 25 farms, so some of them have a couple different locations. Yep. We're only allowed to have four acres, four acre site. A four acre site, okay. And then you can have another four acre site, but if you can find a space and get it approved. So how does that work? How do you go about finding a site and getting it approved? You start with Fishing Game and they have a licensing process. Uh -huh. So you have to find your own site where you want to be, right. for one. Then you bring that up to like you can go and talk to them first a lot of people say like here's a couple spots i was thinking of mm -hmm. what do you think and they might say well you know this one's heavy recreation you don't want to interrupt that you can apply right. but what else are you looking at you know and you kind of sort of narrow down your choices that way and then you put the application in there's a lot of things that go with the application there's a ton of different agencies that get involved deal with the water deal with recreation yeah. plus all of the houses any of the abutters sure. 
that could possibly be affected by your farm being near them, they all get a notification. There's a public hearing, and at the public hearing, people can bring up their grievances mm -hmm. or their acceptance of it, like, yay, I think it's a great idea. People get to write in, I can't remember how long afterwards, 15, 30 days, something like that, and then you either get approved or not approved. Sometimes you just have to tweak and alter things. Okay. But it can take a year, it can take two. <laughs> it can take a long time to get approved. We're gonna gotcha. slide right through here. Okay. These are oyster trays. Oops, what do you mean about yeah, this? Yeah, not just out. And if you do get stuck in the mud, push your knee forward, <laughs> okay. almost like you're just bending and lifting your heel. Don't try to haul it out this way because you'll like pop a hip out, it's awful. So if you do get stuck, <laughs> do You that. guys okay. will help me. Did you find out where you were? So what we call these oyster condos. <laughs> yep. That sounds much nicer because they're not traps. You're not trapping them. You're not catching them. We're not, you're harvesting no, we're not them. trapping yeah, them. Nope. Yeah. Um, basically buy baby oysters from a hatchery. Okay. And then we put them in mm -hmm. to these bags which sit inside these condos and they just sort of rest on the bay floor. Water passes through and they feed naturally so we don't feed them anything. Right. Which is great. It's right. like the best part about this farming. <laughs> right. You're putting nothing in except oysters mm -hmm. and then these cages and bags. And then I do have some of these trays down here, which sort of have a top that opens and they're sitting more freely in there. Mm -hmm. A little bit better for water to get through into all of the different oysters. When they're in the bags, they can get locked in the corners. So that's what she's doing right now, sort of whacking them out of the corners. Lots of shaking, lots of cleaning. Right. That's basically what raising oysters is. Sure. Cleaning and shaking, cleaning and shaking. The shaking sort of, um, or tumbling. Some people have tumblers, they're automatic tumblers. Mm -hmm they'll wash the oysters while they gently roll them around and it breaks off the edge of the shell. So I always say it's kind of like fingernails when you file them, they get stronger and more shapely. Yep. Same thing with the oysters, you break off that end shell that's sort of growing outward right? and then it'll sort of make that deeper cup happen. And as you go through the oysters, if they're in the open trays, mm -hmm. you're kind of moving around with your hand and chucking them and you're popping them apart because nobody, like restaurants, people, they don't want to shuck one oyster, flip it and have another one attached to it, right? Of course, yeah, They sure. want them singles and they want them to look pretty. So. Part of this whole process is making sure they kind of have a uniform shape, color, texture, all of that. So part of the farming is really aesthetics too. That's an important part of it. I think it's a huge part of it. People yeah. eat with their eyes. Yeah. And a lot of people say, I like the smaller oysters because they're sweeter. Are they? <laughs> Sometimes they might taste sweeter, but I think they also look sweeter. Mm -hmm. You know, they're smaller, mm -hmm. more delicate. Yeah. I, I think they do sometimes, but then I'll say like, do they really? And if you kind of were to close your eyes and try a big one and a little one, other than, you know, the way it feels chewing it up in your mouth, I think they probably taste pretty similar. <laughs> sure, sure. All right, so we can go, I can show you, at lower tide I can show you the trays. Okay. But I can go back here and show you some babies. So you obviously know your way around the farm like the back of your hand, right? I do. So I would come stumbling in and just not know where anything is. Right, yeah. and that's, yep. So I tend to be fairly organized. Uh, these guys are my nemesis. Where'd it go? And crabs. They have an invasive green crab here and they eat it, a lot of oysters. Is that your farm pest, is, the, is crabs primarily? Primarily, yeah, there's some nice, um, uh, it's like Jonah crabs, regular crabs that mm -hmm. aren't a big problem. But these little green crabs, they get inside the cages and they eat the small oysters. They eat everything that's like under an inch and a half. Oh, wow. And they just grow up inside the cages. <laughs> so if you don't get to cleaning them often, yeah, right, it could decimate a whole bag. That's an unwelcome squatter in the condo. Yes, it yeah. is. And there, yeah. there are some predators. That's basically why we have the cages at all. Mm -hmm. So part of it is just to help for organization, but um, those predators, like they can't get in a tiny bag like this, you hope, sure. where it's a really small mesh size. And this is what they go in. This is a four millimeter mesh size for when they're baby babies. Uh -huh. And uh, I can take that out and show you. But the crabs can't really get inside this mesh size, you hope. Right. 
then you open it and you see one a crab that's like two inches and you're like how did you do that and you figure they went in when they were just tiny They've been out for a and they had um, a lifetime snack right <laughs> so there's that <laughs> that lifetime food supply so there's the babies so oh, these okay. guys went in last summer about this time usually july early july and they stay in this smaller mesh bag until they're ready to graduate to a nine millimeter mesh bag this is just my process on my farm so this here is a little bit larger mesh so the i would have um i do everything in the water mm -hmm. i don't pull anything onto a boat i don't have a boat right so i have floating sorters mm -hmm. that i'll have sort of a open bucket on the top with a certain size mesh pour the oysters into it give it a good shake in the water again that shaking tumbling helps break off that shell gives them more growth whatever goes through goes into the original bag whatever stays on top goes into a larger mesh bag and then I'll keep going so she's got the 18 millimeter bag over there so same kind of thing so it graduates from this one to the nine to that one and then from there it goes into the trays as soon as I have space so everything kind of graduates throughout the farm. So I keep it extremely organized so yeah, that it I seems know like it. Well, exactly where everything is. And if I have to turn around and grab a whatever size bag, I know where I'm pulling from. Helps me anyway. So I think I was reading on your website, how long does it take? So for one of these baby oysters to grow to the, I guess the harvestable size, yeah. how long how long does that take? Um, About a year or so? Four, no, three years. Three years, yeah, wow, okay. Two, three years, <laughs> yep. Depending on the size of the the baby seed that you actually put in. Mm -hmm. So there are some farmers that have what's called an upweller. Mm -hmm. And I ran one with my sister for a few years and you buy seed that's like one to two millimeters. They're tiny. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can fit a thousand on your fingertip. They're so small. And an upweller is essentially like a floating dock and has doors that open. And inside is just this long trough with a little pump at the end and attached to the trough are these barrels that have a mesh bottom. So the oysters sit on those mesh bottom barrels and the pump just pulls water up through somewhere, which is the bottom of the barrels, out through the trough and out. So all it's doing is like quickly circulating the water through them, which is where they get their food. So they can double in size easily in a matter of days yeah. um, up to a certain point. Um, so they grow really quickly in there. You can buy the smaller seed a lot cheaper. Mm -hmm but you're at the upweller every day, sometimes two times a day. If there's a storm and the pump fails or the power shuts off at the marina, you could be killing all your oysters. So right. it's, it's really, it's a daily thing. It's a lot of work and you have to tend to your farm. So sure. it, it's great because you can get more seed, less expensive, but there's also a mortality in that too. With all those little teeny tiny ones, you're gonna have a lot of death in there too. Survival of the fittest. Right. I mean, if you didn't get there to stir them or move them around or clean a barrel at the right time, you could be killing the ones in the middle, you know, so there's a lot that happens there. If you buy a larger seed, like uh, this one, for example, this is probably nine millimeters. So mm -hmm. you can say you get nine to 13 millimeter seed or something like that. You can put them directly out on your farm and you can skip the upweller. Right. Maybe you lose less, hopefully. <laughs> um, maybe you can control them better. You get them in here, and then you just start your routines of shaking and cleaning and transferring and sorting until they reach harvest size maybe in two to three years. So you cut out a little time there. Maybe it's a few months in the upweller versus zero in the upweller straight out here. Then you can buy them. I started buying, I found a source for larger seed, and that like takes out a year of my work. Oh, okay. It's more expensive. Sure. So you put less in but they're already bigger so will they survive better so these are sort of the games you play out here yeah. and what's hard is that 
let's say I want to, like, I'm going to double the amount of oysters I grow. Well, that sounds great, but you're not going to see that for two to three years. You have to plan. If it worked, yeah. right? Do you have right. enough space in the bags? Are you overstocking? Are you understocking? Did the crabs get them? Um, I had a really bad winter years ago at a different site that I was farming on. The ice came in. It was thick. It was that, it was 2014, which was freezing. Mm -hmm. The ice was so thick when low tide happened, it just sat on the cages and crushed them. Oh, no. So yeah. I came out, you know, the cages were 18 inches high, and it was less than a foot. And all the bags in there were just squished. So the oysters can't open, so they can't feed, so they die. So anyway, so all those oysters died. Yep. So any research that I was doing that year and the year before, it's kind of gone. Mm -hmm. So then you go, okay, I'll start over, but you really wanted to do this and this. and. Then it gets a little tricky. And last year, the babies, I thought I knew what I was doing. I said, for the next three years, I'm going to do you know, X, Y, and Z. And this would have been year three, but last year was year two, and the babies had a huge mortality. Mm. Some people say it's because we didn't have any rain, didn't it change the salinity of the water. We're not really sure. Maybe it was a bad batch from the hatchery. Like, you just don't know. So there's a lot of things you can tell, and then there are some things that are still kind of a mystery. Yep. And I am not a scientist, so I think that part of the mystery I might never get to solve. Ask right. a lot of questions, but I'm, you know, when it comes to farming, if you were raising tomatoes, you're going to have like, geez, what just happened to all of them? Why are they all the leaves yellow today? And what is this new worm or something like that? You know, same kind of problems. So. It's a tri trial and er trial and error over a number of years. It is. I mean, some people I think have it nailed down, and if you can get to them directly and ask questions, they're super helpful. And I find that pretty much anyone I've talked to is super helpful. And out here, we all really help each other out a lot. We'll say like, hey, you know, my, I seem to have a lot of death in these, did you? And we'll talk to somebody over at Hampton, say, yeah, me too, and wonder why, and we try to compare things. But each site is very, very specific. Mm -hmm. So what happens on my site might not happen to this guy over here, yeah, you know, who's only a couple yeah. hundred feet away from me, because yeah. he has different conditions. Right. You know, he's more at the, the mouth current, of a river. Or, yeah. He might get a different tidal swirl. He might have deeper, mm -hmm. more shallow, you know? So it's, it's hard to figure out exactly what's going on sometimes. It sounds like it's a pretty uh, friendly community of oyster farmers. I mean, yeah, it is. We're yeah. actually really lucky. We have, um, we started the New Hampshire Shellfish Farmers Initiative. Mm -hmm. it's right, actually, it was right before COVID because we all have sort of some things that we're all doing the same thing on. We're like, if we just presented as a group, it would be a lot easier. Sure. But we're really hard to wrangle. Yeah. <laughs> we're all so busy and we're out here at low tides. Right. And some people are out eight, 10 hours a day. Wow. I generally work here at all the low tides and then I go home and do any other kind of business, office work, shopping right. events, sales, whatever else, and doing deliveries. And so are other people. Um, so it's really hard. Someone says, you know, where are you at two o'clock? And nobody's available. <laughs> or three people are and 12 people aren't. Yep. But we do the best we can. And um, when COVID hit, it was a really great way to share some of the resources and how did you fill out this, the, the CARES Act things? And are we even eligible? And yeah. pretty much no. Yeah. <laughs> it was really sad. It was, in a way, I'm going to say nothing was lucky about COVID, but luckily it happened early. Mm -hmm. I don't want to make that sound flippant at all. No, 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 sure. Um, yeah, I mean, but when it did happen, like my particular farm, I don't generally start doing any restaurant wholesale or retail establishment sales until July. Because mm -hmm. the waters have warmed up, the oysters are eating, I can kind of bank on a consistent growth. So I know if I get through all the trades and go back, I'll have more and I can keep you know, like stock this person with a few hundred, get this to this person. April, I don't usually do it, and in May. So I started having people saying, do you have any oysters? Can we get some oysters? All the restaurants are closed. Can you get them to us directly? And legally, I can. 
But I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll meet you when I come in, which is a different time every day, yeah. right? So yeah. it's just, it's a matter of like constant texting people. And then I said, why don't I just do Saturday? Like, we'll just do a Saturday pickup. And then people would stop off the side of the road, like just driving by, like, what are you selling? What do you have? And I was like, oh, I have oysters. Oh my God, can we get some? And I'm like, oh, uh, okay, next week. So then I just basically figured like, I guess this might be it. Mm -hmm. Like direct sales, 12 at a time versus hundreds at a time, right? Right, right. Um, but I said, I'll, I'll just try it. I don't know if it's gonna work, whatever. It, it was awesome. People stopped and really supported it and got really, really fresh food. Yeah, like, sure. I don't right think they've ever water. had a fresher oyster because <laughs> right. I would harvest in the morning and then go up there, get them cooled down and iced down and that was it. Right then they'd show up. Yeah. You know, so it was like two hour old oyster. Right. Like, it was incredible. Right. <laughs> so yeah. people really liked it and I I wasn't sure if it was gonna last, but it, it sustained my business and uh, all through the through the year. I didn't do any shucking events. Their wholesale was pretty much dead. So once um, once kind of fall came, I thought people would definitely just skip it, but they came until I was done. That's great. Even when the weather got colder, they were really excited about it. A lot of people learned how to shuck for mm -hmm. the first time, and mm -hmm. they're like, can you shuck them for me? And I don't have that license up there. I can't do that at the parking lot. There's a special license for opening them, basically. Yeah, because yeah. it's not a prepared food, okay. so it has to deal with um, different catering type stuff and health mm -hmm. licenses and stuff like that. So to, sh to sell them in the shell is a little bit different. Like we have a wholesale and a retail license for that. So I can do direct to consumer or yep. the local wholesaler or direct to a restaurant. Mm -hmm. um, but for actually shucking, and there are some becomes different It becomes prepared once you, once you open the shell. Yeah, something yeah. like that. It's really hard to kind of figure out the rules. It's a, yeah. there's a lot of yes, buts, and oh, well, well, if you're doing well, I don't know, call the town, call the state, because mm -hmm. the health licenses are Part, like most of the state is run under the state, yep. but there are a lot of self-inspecting towns too, so you have to know who they are. And some of them will say, well, if, if you follow the state one, you're fine. But mm -hmm. some people say, no, you have to get a separate one and pay a lot of money for it. Right. And <laughs> right. <laughs> Except for every single event you do, you're paying, you know, 150 bucks or whatever it is. Sometimes it's a per event. Sometimes it's per yeah. event. Sometimes it's for, like I did the farmer's markets mm -hmm. in Dover. And so that was per that item, like yep. the farmer's markets as a whole. So it was sort of a one-time thing, even though I went weekly. Yep. So there's sometimes they're different. They're always different. Do you ship as well? Do I you, don't. You don't. Okay. No, I have a hard time with the packaging. Yeah. There's so much foam. Well, do you, uh, so how so much gas? Yeah, I was going to ship right. Oysters. Yeah. She, <laughs> right now it's. Yeah. I mean, I have the luxury of saying that right now because I sell out. Like right now, right. I have very limited supply of oysters because people are buying them. It's great. Yep. So I can say that. Yep. Were I out here with a supply of a couple hundred thousand extra oysters, mm -hmm. I might think differently. Yep. Um, or try to get them all in bulk to one place. I don't know. It's just so hard for me. This yeah. has turned my life into sort of an eco yeah. study. <laughs> yeah, we'll see yeah I used there. to say I'm pretty much hyper local. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I really stayed around here. In fact, I used to work at the restaurant I sold them to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was like I would just take them with me just to work, with which you. was just hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it's, it's definitely local restaurants either around the bay or my wholesaler will get them to other restaurants too. But generally, within this area it could be southern maine but right you know maybe just over in kittery or something like that yeah but yeah really really local that a couple retail outlets as well mm -hmm. they do really well with them and then um during covid with the changes it was just started 100 percent direct to consumer it was a lot of different kind of work the sort of behind the scenes of work getting the website going taking payments on the side of the road uh, figuring out how to do a lot of the stuff, which some people are just like, whatever, we do that every day. I don't. So it was trying to figure out how to fix my website to be able to take, take orders, payments and orders yeah. for certain dates. Mm -hmm. And it, 
everything gets really complicated that way for yeah. me, and that's the part I don't love. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I still do it, yeah. so kind of a one-person operation. Yeah. Um, but so a lot of that had to change, and then, like I said, I got into some wholesalers, and the retailers were like, you know, we're doing great with it too, so just keep supplying us. So some of the things stayed, yeah. but primarily it turned to direct to consumer, and it changed my entire business model. So yeah. now I'm still doing direct to consumer, and mm -hmm. I think that's going to be the primary instead of Real almost bit. last option. So I really enjoy it. That's great. Yeah. Well, I talked to a lot of business people who had to pivot, and the ones who survived, and some people even, you know, they thrived or they found new business yeah. models, or, or yep. in ones that sounds like you, you know, not only did you expand your business, this might be a better fit for you in some I ways. I think so, yeah. yeah. It, was, it surprised me because the people that came said, Are you going to do this again next year when mm -hmm. I ran out last fall? I said, yeah, but I really just don't think you're going to come. And they said, why do you think that? I said, because COVID hopefully will be over. Yeah. Or maybe not near, whenever whenever right. it sort of calms down and we get to go back outside. I said, I really just, don't you want to go back to the restaurants? You know, you're going to be going back to work maybe, and you won't have time to come to one special location to get your oysters. You know, it's only one item. I don't have a store, right? right? right. So I just didn't think that that would still hold. You know, the allure would kind of go away. Like, right. okay, we've been there. We've done that. But now people are like, yeah, but now we know how to shuck. Right, right. So why yeah. would we go out and do it? I'm like, oh, there it is. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, I mean, totally how, different. I, I mean, how cool is it to make a special trip on the weekend to go get, you know, fresh oysters, yep. like literally steps from the water, yep. and then be able to bring them home and, and prepare them hard. I agree, yeah. and my neighbors agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we do it a lot. Yeah. But uh, I think it took some people a little bit of a learning curve, and now they say, like, it's just really not as hard as we thought. Right. And then I have this really great neighbor. His name is Dan, and I always say like dinners with Dan. I give him a lot of extra oysters, mm -hmm. maybe from the sales, or just bring them over if we if we're all getting together or whatever. And he just does things with them that they might not be sort of the normal thing to do with them. Right. But we like shuck some fresh, mm -hmm. but then he'll like put them on the grill and leave them for 45 minutes. We're like, what are you doing? Yeah. Turns out it tastes like sea bacon. It is delicious. And then he'll put some random sauces that he had for barbecuing, I don't know, something else in there. And we're like, all right, yeah, we'll try it. Yeah. And he just makes the greatest recipes. Wow. And yeah, he just kind of looks around his kitchen and says, let's try it like this. And I appreciate that. I love that. Because he treats it more like a meat. Like if you have, mm -hmm. say, a chicken or something, chicken breast, what are you going to do with it? Well, yeah. you're going to kind of doctor it up. You might right. marinate it. You might put some seasoning on it. He does that same thing that he does with oysters. And they always taste different. And they're always really, really good. So I just tell people, I'm like, don't, it's not precious. It's mm -hmm. an oyster. It's food. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a huge protein source. And if you think of it like that, like yeah. another addition to your meal that you just incorporate often, you know, have fun with it. Try right. a different flavor. You know, it doesn't always have to just be fresh shucked, although that is like Is that best. your, I assume that's your favorite way to, <laughs> yeah, to have them? Yeah, I actually, and oysters are probably the only seafood I eat. I don't eat seafood just because I Interesting. Like it. I know it's kind of bizarre. <laughs> um, it's a strange profession to have. Um, I like oysters. I like what they do. Do sure. For the environment. Yeah. I mean, they're little pumps and filters and they're wonderful. Um, they keep our waters clean and clear, which doesn't mean that they filter bad, dirty things. That's not what it does. It means that <laughs> the algae which they eat and the phytoplankton that they eat, yeah. if there was too much, it would cloud up the water. Right. So by them processing and filtering it, they're pulling out all these like incredible nutrients for themselves and they're creating proteins and minerals and vitamins. And then that water stays clear, which allows um, sunlight to penetrate the bottom and then you get the different grasses growing and the different little worms and everything else thriving. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're just so healthy for the environment. And I've been taking a huge look at the different foods that I eat and how they are impacting our environment. 
and the meat that I eat is from my neighbor three houses down. So we trade oysters for beef and pork nice. and chicken when she has it. So I've taken a very conscious effort to consider that. So I was like, I should probably start eating my own oysters because they're really healthy for the environment. And they're also really healthy for me. So it's kind of like win-win. Yeah. So now I do like them. So yeah. now I'll come out here and have a few if I'm hungry <laughs> and <laughs> bring them home, bring the parties and just play with them. But you know, favorite way, not favorite way. I kind of like how Dan experiments with them, so yeah. I'm always excited to see what he does with them. Um, but yeah, I eat enough out here. I don't usually go order them. <laughs> I would imagine not. So uh, one of the things that you told me in our multiple attempts to try to get out here with some yeah. good weather, and we scored. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's um, great. You were telling me a little bit about the, what you call them the uglies? Like oh, the, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and that's kind of tied in with COVID as well, right? yep. um, because you had the, the excess ugly oysters. So tell us about the ugly oysters yeah. and the uglies, <laughs> and, and then their actual, you know, how they've, even though they maybe weren't the most aesthetically pleasing to sell the restaurants or, yeah. or, or to eat, they, well, they found a purpose as well. They did. And every oyster has a purpose, whether it's going to a restaurant or not. They're still doing what they do with the bay. It doesn't matter if yeah. they're small or big. Um, the Nature Conservancy got involved a little bit more last year as a result of COVID. Well, I should say that my, my sister is Kristen Ward, and she got me into this. She owns Choice Oysters. Okay. She works down at the UNH lab with okay. Dr. Ray Grizzle, and they have been restoring um, native oyster beds for a long time. I, I don't know the exact amount of time, say 10, 12 years. The Nature Conservancy started working with them because at their lab, they're able to raise what's called spat on shell. So they take all this, um, started a recycling shell program with TNC. They take that recycled shell and they put baby larvae on it, like larval oysters on there, and they set. Oysters can't survive without setting on something, so they would use that dead shell. And then eventually after months, they would take that once they're bigger and they would put it out on these native reefs where they, would, they put tons and tons of dead shell using a barge, they would deploy this and sort of create a reef and then put the oyster shell with the babies on it, on that reef, and then they will continue to reproduce and study it. So they've been doing those projects for years and years. And the Nature Conservancy works with Kristen and Ray and they use the lab and stuff like that. And a couple years ago, a few of us farmers started raising the spat on shell also with the Nature Conservancy because we do this all the time. So we thought if we put the trays on our farms, we can kind of monitor them and see if we can grow them maybe a little bit bigger, a little bit faster, if there is a difference between this and the way they do it hanging off of the docks. So I have been working with the Nature Conservancy and in part with that and in part with all the research that's going on, the Pew Charitable Trust donated a lot of money to the Nature Conservancy to help the shellfish farmers, which in turn helps restoration. So what they did is they said, we have these existing reefs how can we add to them? And they said, well, there's a lot of farmers that aren't selling their product because of wholesale and retail is just almost gone. Uh, all the restaurants were closing down. So the oysters get too big. So some people say there is no oyster too big, but <laughs> most people say there is. So those ones that are really too big, maybe like four inches or higher, um, they didn't really have anywhere to go. So people were sort of setting them aside on their farm. Well, eventually they're just gonna pile up and create, you know, like a well, natural reef, but that's not what we want on our farms to be. And then you have uglies, and here's an example. This guy just grew into a cage, and he's maybe a little bit harder to shuck. Sure. He's kind of got, you know, he's not a good shape. Yeah. And then a lot of them, sometimes I call them the back bends, they sort of grow backwards where the belly, it's almost like if you did a back bend, it would be really hard to shuck that open, right? right. And all the liquor would fall out. Mm -hmm. So we call those the uglies. Some of them are twisted, some of them are just ugly. Yeah. Uh, so we took the bigs and uglies and they deployed them on the restoration sites. And that was, they paid us for them. 
And um, so we were able to make some income off of it and clean up the sites yep. and also put them on a site where they're just probably thriving at this point, we hope. Sure. Right? That's the goal. And having the adult oysters, they could be huge producers, mm -hmm. right? Rather than just the, maybe the small spat on shell. That was, was a great program. Yeah. Really lucky. Yeah. They did it this year, too. We actually just finished it up. I deployed some with my sister last week, and I think they're wrapping it up this week. So it was sort of number two, round two. Round, round two. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. One of my questions was how you found your way to, uh, you know, to oyster farming. And, yep. and uh, you just mentioned that your sister maybe was yep. the one it's who her. got you into that. It's all her. Uh, yeah. She, like I said, she works at the UNH lab. Mm -hmm. um, she did marine biology at UNH and then started working with Ray. And they, they got into a ton of oyster research. And there hadn't been oyster farming here for a long time. Oysters took sort of a big old decline in the 90s. It was mm -hmm. almost like eliminated in the world. Like, they're really bad. Like, from what I've heard, over 90% gone. Was that because of overconsumption or pollution or? Both. Yeah. So a lot of both. Overharvesting is huge. Mm -hmm. And yes, we have polluted our waters in the past to a point where a lot of the disease came in and killed the oysters as well. Mm -hmm. The restoration efforts are awesome. I don't know if it'll ever be what it was. I mean, it was called right over around the corner is the Oyster River. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right, right. And now you, it's lucky if you can find a native oyster in there. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, but all of our oysters are putting out tons of little babies. And hopefully they're floating over to some of those natural reefs and mm -hmm. resettling. Mm -hmm. So we're helping population. Yep even though we're not necessarily capturing our own small oysters. So you can do that. You can try to catch the set yep. and then use those. Uh, most of us do not. 2009 or somewhere around there, maybe a little earlier, said, I want to do an oyster farm in the bay. I want to start it up again. And they went to Ray and Kristen and said, can you help me find a spot? Essentially, they helped them find a space to be. And they kind of were thinking about it. And they're like, hey, maybe we should consider this. Like, oysters are huge right now. We are scientists. We know how to know what they do. We know sure. everything about them. We know what their habitat can be. And I uh, looked a little into farming. She said, I'm starting an oyster farm. Do you want to move home? And I was in Seattle at the time and completely different career. I'm mm -hmm. an artist and a glassblower and a teacher. And I was getting a little burnt out on all of it. And I said, sure, it sounds good. And my now husband, boyfriend at the time was like, oh, that's unique. Okay, <laughs> you got to try that. Uh, so he was like, yeah, I'm game if you want to move out there. And so I came out for a summer, lived with Kristen, sort of started it, and then moved back the following year. And that was it. Now I'm in love with it. Yeah. It's the best thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, yeah. I have her to thank, and she's wonderful. You do tours, occasional private tours? I do. Yep, I have it on my website. It's like Tour Tuesdays. Yeah. Um, I had to just pick a day yeah. that I knew I could uh -huh. commit to that because I'm usually out here working. Um, right now, luckily, I have Reagan and Sarah, and I have some incredible <laughs> friends. Shout out to Hannah and Lizzie. Uh, they have been coming out for years just to help, just mm -hmm. because they love it. Right. And that, oh my God, it warms my heart. I don't think my business would be doing anything if I didn't have those folks that were just so, number one, kind to me and loving, but yeah. love it out here. I get it, I love it, sure. but it's also work. Right. So I would right. say, you know, you can just sit here, you can just talk to me, or you know, like, right. bring out a beverage and a soda or something, you just come sit with me and talk to me, or just hang out as long as you want, take right. your kayaks around, whatever. Right. But they're like, no, we, want, we just want to help you. Like, yeah. we, this is great. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Because yeah. I guess when you don't do it every day, it doesn't become, like, monotonous. Yeah, so sure. I've, I've had a ton of great people out here. I'm just so lucky. 
I mean, a typical day, you know, we blocked off some time, obviously, to chat with me out here, but how long would you normally be out here? Do you time it based on the tide, or does it not really matter? Is that more I just for my benefit? Okay. I personally time okay. everything on the tide. Okay. Yeah, and that's changed my world, too. It's crazy. The tide will definitely dictate how long I can stay out here, because there's about a, I want to say about a 10-foot tidal difference between low and high. Okay. And the lows change every day. Right. So you have the low that's at zero, which, you know, might be, say, down to the, my mid-knee, to mm -hmm. my knee. And then and you'll have like a, a plus one tide that's going to be about a foot higher. And you right. might have a negative 0.25 tide. Right. So today is like a 0.24. And yep. it should be out a little lower than this. They're not always dead on. Mm -hmm. um, but right now, you know, it's about just below our waist. So if the, the, I think we've already passed the low tide mark and it's going to come back in. Sometimes it's hard to tell. But mm -hmm. when it's on its way in, the cages start to disappear. Oh, okay. And you know you're done. Yep. And then you, you know, push them all down, get everything yep. settled, clean up what you're doing, and then head in. I do um, have a dock coming out here that I could work off of if I wanted to. I tend to generally think that about three hours a day I can get what I need done. And that's on a small farm. This yep. is a small farm. I do have, like I said, some folks that are helping me right now. With them, they can do a lot of the things while I'm out here freeing me up to do more experiments. I'm taking care of some other things. If I'm harvesting oysters for a day, I can focus on that instead of scrubbing, mm -hmm. you know, the five or 10 bags in the cages that I need to do for that week or something like that. So right. uh, this is super helpful. It also frees up my body <laughs> to <laughs> oh, have <that's>, yeah. <laughs> more energy <laughs> to do some of the other labor intensive projects. Right. It can be very labor intensive sure. out here. The cages aren't light and you know each one might not weigh much but then when you, you're shaking 50 or 60 or 100 of them a day that gets gets it adds to the shoulder pain sometimes and <laughs> right years go by and you go what's that little crick in my elbow? Right. This is it. <laughs> do you need to get out here in the winter? I I don't now. I don't okay. yet, I should okay. say. I have a feeling it will happen one of these days, which actually could be a good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, oysters tend to take a little nap. Yep. <laughs> Usually around December, the water's pretty cold. Maybe November. It, the water needs to be warm for the food to be available and growing, right? So late, late, late in the year, the oysters will sort of shut down. They might open a little bit to get a little oxygen and water, but they basically just hibernate. And, 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 and warm is relative here in New Hampshire when well, it comes yeah, to New Hampshire water. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. You figure like the air gets really cold, the water yeah. stays a little warmer, warmer a little than longer. The air. Yeah. So usually yeah. it's like October, November, maybe it, it's getting down into like maybe the 40s. Mm -hmm. And then they're pretty dormant in the winter. And then around April, you know, the ice clears up and the sun starts to come out, hopefully. Right. Um, April showers, the floods day, but usually it's April when I come out. I put my cages really deep in the winter to keep the ice from sitting on them and crushing them. And then so I go out and I pull all those in. We have a big oyster cage pulling party out here. It's pretty much whoever volunteers. <laughs> and you, you asked about farm tours. I had a lot of people that went on farm tours and they just never left. They're like, can we come back out? Can we? I said, yes, yes yeah. you can. Yeah. And they come back out with me often and they say, just say the word, we'll be out there for oyster hauling April. And yeah. you know, and like if you're putting them back out in the end of the season, we'll drag them with you. Just people that love it. Again, yeah, I'm really lucky. Yeah. Um, but then April is usually when I start. May, I'm kind of cleaning out, seeing what I might've missed for big oysters from the last year. June is when waters are warmer, things are starting to flow like now, and then July is usually when I can kind of count on getting a consistent amount mm -hmm. out. So the things I've been selling for the sales so far are oysters that I found on the ground that I might have missed raking last year, or here's a couple bags I set them aside. You know, it got too cold in the season, I wasn't going to sell, you know, three dozen oysters, have a sale for that, so I just left them in, things like that. Right. Um, so now it's just starting to get going, and then I usually have a lot of festivals and shucking events in the fall. And then after that, I kind of start to close down. 
clean everything, make sure they're all sorted into the proper size bags and ready to go for the following year. And you asked about tours. I'll just follow this up. I put Tour Tuesdays on there. A lot of people just call randomly. It's whatever time kind of works for them within reason. Mm -hmm. uh, but we do come out for about two-hour tour, and yep. they get to harvest their own and do kind of what we're doing now. You can kind of look around and see what's on the farm, see how they grow, the different equipment, and just learn about oysters in the bay and what they do for the environment. It's yeah. great. Yeah, this is awesome. The types of oysters that, that, that you have here, um, you said they're, they're not native to the bay. These are... Um, most of the oysters that are in here right now mm -hmm. are from a hatchery in Maine, but they're raised by the farmer right next to my farm oh. on an upweller up the river. I buy them from him when they're the right size. Sometimes I still buy from her. Kind of depends. Right. And I also found a new source in Rhode Island that I purchased from. We can't just import any old oyster we want. They have to go through a series of testing mm -hmm. and they have to be part like disease resistant and we have a whole health report we have, that has to be um, with the state before we can purchase from those folks. And there are some states and areas that are closed off to us because of diseases that they had forever ago, but because they've ever had that like shut down to us. So we're very particular about what we bring in. So native, not native, if you're thinking of it like that, yeah. you know, it's a Maine oyster maybe, not right. a New Hampshire oyster, right. but up yeah. and down the East Coast, it's primarily the Eastern oyster that's being grown. Their specific flavor is kind of like a wine. It comes from the location they're grown. Okay. So my location here in one, right across this channel over here near that island, mm -hmm. they could taste different. Yeah. And so could his right over there, on That's you know, 150 yeah. feet away. Yeah. The bottom mud is different. The one might be a sandier situation. One might be a muddier situation. There might be more algae that's leading to a different flavor profile. Some of the oysters might be a little bit more um, exposed at higher tide, where the sun might burn off some of that algae. So they're getting less of that attached to their shells, less of that around them. So different factors like that can cause a completely different flavor. Plus the way the tide comes in this particular location mm -hmm. versus over there or there. And I'm by the mouth of a river, so it could taste different than oysters by the mouth of that river. Kind of just all depends on what's flowing out past the oysters. But it's generally most oysters that are farmed on the East Coast are the Eastern oyster. Mm -hmm. Don't quote me on this one, but there's a French oyster and I believe a European oyster, I just don't think they do well here. That's the part. Does it do well in the water? And yep. if it's too hard to raise, I don't think people even want to try it. But because you get such a different flavor profile, just that one oyster. The pearls. Different flavor in one small region. Traditionally, like pearls, they're actually cultured. Do you ever come across them accidentally where a grain of sand or whatever it is gets in there and I always tell people that I, I don't know if I would be doing this specifically if yeah. I found a lot of pearls yeah. in yeah. the <laughs> No, I probably would still. But yeah. They tend to grow in much warmer Water. conditions mm -hmm. and I think sandier conditions because yep. essentially it's just an interruption in their food chain. So they'll get a little yeah. piece of sand in their belly and it irritates them. So they coat it with the same material that's in their shell and that's what a pearl is. Mm -hmm. And by just keep tumbling it over and over again, you get this beautiful, smooth, gorgeous pearl. I think the warmer climates also grow the pearls quicker because they're eating all year long. So an oyster in Florida can reach a mature, say, like three inch size in like a year. Wow. Yeah. You know, not much more than that, if that. They're going to have a totally different texture and the shell might be totally different. Like we would say they're seasoned up here and hardy, just like a New Englander. Yeah, uh, they look seasoned and hardy. They yeah. do. Yeah. They have real tough shells, so they're easy to kind of shuck and pop open. You're not yeah. going to break the shells too often. And they have like a really 
meaty, solid texture, where sometimes in warmer climates it can be a little bit watery because yeah. they're just like really growing really, really fast and they're not really just seasoned and hearty like that. Covered a ton. We have so, covered a ton. I mean, I'm really enjoying it. We'll keep chatting, but I mean, as yeah. far as my questions, I, I'm, I'm gonna stop grilling you for a yeah, while. No, right? it's, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs>